right, everyone, welcome back to Mission Daily Podcast. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, and today I'm joined by one of my lovely friends, Liv Burry. Liv, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with a backstory because I think how I met you was really funny. Um, we were at a party, I'll just call it a party, and, <laughs> and we spent a long time together, like many hours, where I was just hanging out with you and your partner, Igor. And we literally talked about everything. We were like talking about like, if we had to restart civilization, what would we bring? What would our like Bible be? How should we parent? I mean, I was like ego death. We literally went all over the place. And the next day I remember being like, okay, like, let me get your number. You know, let me, let me follow you on Insta or something. And I look at your Instagram and you have like, I don't know, a hundred thousand followers, millions of followers, whatever the number was. I was like, uh, are you famous? Like, <laughs> who are you? And you were like, oh yeah, you know, I've done poker before. And I'm like, what? And I start looking through you and I realize that you have this very diverse background that I actually want you to introduce because I obviously didn't hear of any of that when I first met you and it's super fascinating. So if you could please introduce yourself. Sure. Um, I grew up in England, as you can hear, um, studied physics and astrophysics was my like initial path. Um, and then, but after graduating, I, you know, I planned to become a research scientist, you know, I want to become a researcher, um, and, but I needed to make some money. So I started applying for TV game shows mm-hmm. as a way, uh, because I always loved games and competition. And uh, it was on one of these shows that I first learned how to play poker. And it was just like this light bulb moment. I just loved the game so much, everything that it sort of, you know, as I said, I was very competitive um, and it's, really just ticked all the boxes that I love in a game um and decided to then you know I was like okay I want to see if I can make make a living at this for a little while um see how far I can get and basically never look back uh so started playing professionally a little bit after that and ended up doing that for about 12 years simultaneously I started doing some sort of like science TV presenting because, you know, I, I also like doing the TV side of things. Um, and that was a way to sort of scratch that science itch still mm-hmm. that hadn't been scratched. Uh, and then I got involved in philanthropy about sort of midway through um, when, when I met my partner, Igor, who's also a professional or was a professional at the time. Um, we co-founded an, uh, a charity organization called Raising for Effective Giving, which was basically you know, when we, when I was learning about philanthropy, it became abundantly clear that actually there's not that much sort of thinking often that goes into like cause selection. Um, because, you know, there's, there's, there's a thing of like, okay, there's this horrible problem. How do I best solve that problem? But then there's the like more zoomed out question, which is there are so many different horrible problems and I have resources I want to either give, you know, whether it's my time or my money to help them. But what, what, how do I uh, sort of prioritize between these causes and select the, the thing that is actually going to make the biggest positive impact? Mm-hmm. So it's about this like sort of cause agnosticism. And that's what our organization was all about. It was like drawing upon all the research available um, to find out what are actually the biggest issues in the world that are also the most neglected. And so luckily there was like a sort of whole movement uh of researchers that have tried to like figure this out um most people know it as effective altruism but there's all sorts of names for it but basically it's just like using science and reason well like the scientific method to figure out what are the biggest problems and and where can we give uh where does our money go the furthest so basically we would fundraise for the most cost-effective charities um through the poker community 
um, uh, because it turns out poker players are actually a pretty generous bunch. Yeah, um, and they make good money if you win, right? Can do, yeah. yeah. Like you, you made a lot of money in poker because you were, I mean, can I call you a world champion or were you? Uh, I wasn't a world champion. Uh-huh. I mean, they're, they're, they're <laughs> difficult because there is like, there's technically one tournament a year that like they say, if you win that, you're the world champion, but it's just like, it's all kind of arbitrary. World it's, champion then. <laughs> well, I, so I won a world series of poker bracelet um, with Igor, funny enough, in the one team event they have a year, the two of us uh, won that. Uh, I also won a European poker tour event. Um, so I am a champion poker player. You okay. can say that there's, it's, there's no, no one on earth is like the world champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even the champions of poker tournaments aren't necessarily the best players in the world. It's, it's a really muddy game to figure out who's the best, okay. um, but I was pretty good and I've won a f- fair few titles. Uh, so we can say that. And I was the number one ranked female player in the world for like a period of time. So. Okay. So yeah, you're awesome. Okay. So then you basically pulled together your poker friends to create this charity. Mm-hmm. And then what? So then I started after a few years, you know, the, the charity went really well. I ended up raising like about 12 million, I think, maybe $14 million. That's great. Um, that would not have been raised otherwise uh, for these really top charities. So then I became just more, the more I like learned about this sort of like philanthropy side of stuff, um, the more I got interested in like these sort of the risks that our civilization is facing mm-hmm. because it turns out that actually a lot of the most cost effective things you can give to are these like low certainty but like very bad bad outcome events such as like pandemics yeah um you know like the 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 organizations i was involved with have been warning about pandemics long before covid they were mm-hmm. like there's some big stuff coming and we are not prepared for it um and frankly covid was actually like chump change it was not a particularly bad one and that so that goes to show just like how big of a sort of issue it can be uh ai uh or sort of risks from all these emerging technologies that are sort of on the horizon um and you know the more i got the more i learned about that the more i was like i okay i need to sort of dedicate myself more to this because there aren't actually really any adults in the room (laughs) who are able to take care of this problem this is a really you know really big 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 issue and if there's any way I can help move the needle in in Mm -hmm. some direction so nowadays uh, I mostly work as a kind of educator I guess um, I have a YouTube channel. Um, I just launched a podcast myself. Um, I do a lot of talks and sort of behind the scenes things um, on how to mitigate the risks from particularly emerging technologies, mm-hmm. um, but also some of the risks of just like human behavior, you know, destruction of the, our biosphere, you know, this lovely planet we're on um, and so on. So, uh, and, and and it's kind of the, the specific angle that I'm attacking is the the sort of game theoretic drivers of some of these issues um because i guess it sort of makes sense with the poker background and so on and yeah. it turns out it is actually like misaligned it, it, like game theory gone wrong is actually what's driving a lot of our problems so maybe for anyone who doesn't know what game theory is what is that and how do you use that kind of thinking when you think about it could be poker or big mm-hmm. problems like you're talking about yeah so game theory is technically a branch of economics um and it's it's basically the study of incentive structures. Um, the the reward it's often just sort of shown in the, these like payoff matrices. Um, you know, basically, oh, if you choose option A, you'll win this much. Mm-hmm. Uh, option B, you'll win this much, but also you might lose this much and this much and so on. So it's it's basically a branch of math, but economics um, that studies like 
behavior of humans, but it can also be of agents like uh, non, non-human decision makers as well, um, but behavior of humans in competitive situations. Mm-hmm. And so obviously it applies to poker a lot because um, poker is fundamentally a mathematical game. Um, it applies to almost every game you play, frankly, where there's some kind of reward um, and like strategies that you need to adopt. You know, what are the what are the optimal strategies for me to win at this particular game? Um, so it's the, basically the math of games. And it turns out that most things in life can be sort of modeled as a game to yeah. an extent, um, including business, um, even relationships. You know, there's technically like optimal game theoretic strategies if you're yeah. trying to like navigate the dating pool, you mm-hmm. know, on Tinder or whatever. Uh, so it, it's it's a really fascinating topic because it, it you know, I, th- I think I prefer to think of it as basically it's a study of incentive structures and incentives make the world go around. Mm-hmm. So then what do you, I mean, I'm trying to imagine you in these poker games too, of like how quick your mind is working. Like, what does that look like in the real world now? Like, how does your mind work when you're just observing different like structures or how people are operating? Like, are you constantly thinking about thousands of things and the outcome of what could happen because of that one choice? Or tell me about how your mind works. You know, a lot of the time it's just like, I don't want to give the impression that my, my mind is like vastly different, I think, to anybody else's. Um, but like, I mean, if it's, if it's, yeah, if I'm in some kind of like negotiation or something like that, I, I guess, you know, I'm definitely trying to, I know it's just like old poker habits. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the skills that poker teaches you are extremely useful for life. I, I, I would, I, the reason I recommend poker is to people, not to become professionals, but to just learn mm-hmm. and, and like, you know, get like a little bit competent at is because it's just the closest analog to real life mm-hmm. of any game because it's, you've got, you know, the, you've got the sort of more scientific mathematical side of stuff, you know, like, like specific game theoretic modeling or statistics or um, data analysis and that kind of stuff. But then you've also got the more people mm-hmm. type skills, you know, reading someone's emotions, their body language, the words that they say, um, mentally modeling them, you know, think based upon what you think their relative knowledge is, mm-hmm. um, understanding yourself, understanding your own emotions, mm-hmm. um, because you will, you know, when things go wrong, your your blood will start to boil and you need yep. to understand whether that's clouding your thinking. So understanding your own sort of hopes and dreams and biases that can can muddy your thinking. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's both an art and a science. And then on top of that, it's got a lot of luck mm-hmm. in, in any, in, you know, any short term situation um, because the cards are randomly shuffled between each hand. And there's, so there's these factors that you really can't control. Whereas like a game like chess, there's no luck yeah. really, like aside of like who you get drawn to play against. Mm-hmm. But you, when you're sitting down against a, an opponent, it's just, you both have the same information, mm-hmm. identical information. And um, you, you that's why like the best player almost always wins in chess in, yeah. in a given game. Whereas in poker, we could sit down and play. If we just played for an hour, assuming you know the rules sufficiently, I'm only going to win like, 55% of the time, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe 60%. But if we played for a week, I'm going to win like, hopefully like 98, 99% of the time. Yeah. So um, that that noise, that randomness noise can make it, you know, it also clouds, sort of clouds the picture in a way that happens in life. Mm-hmm. You know, like if your business does well, 
sure, I'm sure you've made some good decisions, but was it also that you just happened to time it right? Yeah, good market. Did you get, <laughs> yeah, good market. Did just like just someone random, like some celebrity just happened to randomly like it and tweet about it one time. You know, mm-hmm. there's all these like, there's this noise and, and like randomness factors that can make it hard to know whether your strategies are actually optimal. So that's a long way of saying I use a lot of these poker skills, yes, in, in sometimes in life situations. Um, particularly, yeah, just like reading people. Yeah, I wanted to ask actually how, because I know on the original show that you were on, they were teaching you just how to play poker in general, right? But how do you teach cues of like, I mean, what were they pointing out in body language where it's like, okay, that person's bluffing. Okay, that person, you know, mm. like, and especially when you're just seeing someone for the first time where you're like, I don't, or maybe you do research on it, but like, how do you know their cues? Yeah. Um, so you don't generally, yeah, like you, you don't generally get to research your mm-hmm. opponents beforehand. It's pretty rare when you do. And the main thing about body language is that there is no one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And I tend to, my advice to people is don't, don't focus too much on it. It's a, it's a tiny, tiny, like cherry on top of this pie of like understanding the math of the game mm-hmm. and like the logic and, and, and you know, the, the, the sort of the core strategy in a vacuum, uh, you know, by in a vacuum, I mean like against any random player that you don't have any information on, but so yeah, when it comes to body language, basically what what I'll do, let's say I sit down against a, a table of players I've never met before. You generally from the outset start to stereotype people mm-hmm. a little bit. And, you know, poker is one place where stereotyping is not only okay, but yeah. it's also like recommended yeah. to an extent. When you have no information, a little bit of leaning on old stereotypes is is probably better than than not. But you need to be very careful with it because obviously people very ro- often buck stereotypes. So like, people stereotyped you like going in. Oh, like, <laughs> hugely, you know, and, and to be honest, I, the, certainly in the beginning, they probably weren't wrong. Like I, I, you know, I was a young girl. I probably didn't have that much money. Mm-hmm. I clearly loved the game and was probably more competitive than usual, but like I, I would have picked on me, yeah. you know, as a player and by picking on him, you know, I would have gone after and like applied a lot of pressure, bluffed, yeah. bluffed me a lot um, because, you know, that type of player is more likely to be a little bit money scared. Did anyone ever give you a free pass where you're like, you remember being in a game and you're like, that person's not going that hard on me because they probably know I'm a newer player. Yeah. Or they were trying to hit on me. You know, I was a young I mean, cute hey, girl, uh, you know, like there yeah. were not many 23 year old, 24 year old, 25 year old yeah. girls. Um, and yeah, like that definitely happened. And that's great. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. they'll take it. Take the win, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then similarly, you know, as I got better, there were people that would regularly underestimate me mm-hmm. um so it's you you're sort of running this background process of trying to figure out what state you know what type of player you're playing against and what they think you are and to like pay attention to that but not over index on it so it's yep. really difficult because many times i've got myself into hot water where i thought you know i was like oh this guy's definitely going after me he's picking on me because i'm a girl yeah i mean just had good cards and I then made a bad decision because of, you know, that, that wrong hypothesis, basically. So, yeah, when it comes to body language, the main thing you want to do is pay attention to what someone's, like, natural state mm-hmm. when they don't actually have cards. You know, are they are they very animated person? Are they gregarious? Are they extroverted? Mm-hmm. Are they, like, sort of comfortable in general? Or are they more sort of closed in and, and, and sort of serious? Mm-hmm. 
And once you've sort of got an idea of that baseline, now you can pay attention to how, you know, if, if you notice that they meaningfully shift away from that during a hand, okay, now what, what does this mean? But again, it can be very difficult because players intentionally, you know, they know this and they will throw out false yeah. signals or again, randomness. They're not doing a false signal, but they just happen to change when they, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing as well is that nervousness and excitement look very similar. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, you know, you'll be playing against someone and you'll see the vein is pumping in their neck. They're breathing really hard. Their hands are shaking. You still don't know whether that means they have really good cards or really bad cards. All you know is that they just like they're really invested in this pot. And, you know, that's and that, that those kind of signals happen when it, the pot gets really, really big. But you know, let's say, you know, a, a flush comes in on the river. Meaning? Uh, basically, <laughs> like a, a sort of. If they have, uh, if they have a flush, basically, mm-hmm. then they will have probably the best hand. Um, and you know, are they? Did did you read them for having a hand that is like you know is going for a flush, or was it another hand that was actually defending against other cards that would you know my hand that might have been going for a flush? Mm-hmm. And now, but they make a big bet on the river anyway, and they're shaking. Okay, so is that is that they are excited? You know, did they make the hand they actually wanted or are, are they like actually really scared and they're trying to get me to fold a hand? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really like, it takes a lot of experience and to be able to re- meaningfully read what those body language things are actually telling you. And even great players still make mistakes. Um, so that's why, again, like knowing the math is is so key because if you know usually the math has a fairly clear answer of what you should do so basically you want to listen to that most of the time unless you have unbelievably strong evidence like and high confidence in your read of their body language that they're basically telling you oh actually i'm bluffing this time or oh actually i've got the nuts and uh, the nuts is the best sound um sorry. <laughs> thanks for clarifying <laughs> i remember when we went to i think we had coffee or we're doing something and you were telling me all about poker and I, you, you can learn this you can learn that i'm like live for my take it back to like level zero just pretend i don't know any math like let's right. start there <laughs> so i appreciate you filling me in and probably i'm sure a lot of people actually listening don't actually know much some of them maybe don't know much about poker so you have the audience for that for sure but yes <laughs> so when i think about now fast forward to so you started a podcast it's called win-win mm-hmm. okay what i know you're thinking about all these like big problems but tell me the behind the scenes of like why you want to do this podcast and what the concept's about. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the long story short is it's a podcast about competition and how competition manifests in our, in our world, in our society, but also in our personal lives, in our businesses, our careers, etc. So it's a nice broad topic, which I gather is a good thing to do for a, your podcast if you want to have a nice broad array yeah. of you know, famous guests. Um, but... You know, it, it's such a personally great topic for me because I, I was such a competitive person as a, as a from a very young age, mm-hmm. as a, like a young child. It just, I had to win. Did you what, have siblings? I have a half sister, but we didn't grow up together, so okay. I really know her. And then I got stepbrother and sisters when I was like in my teens. Okay, but I was kind of an only child prior to that, and yet there was just something in me from the like like deep within my core that just made me incredibly competitive and I always wanted to win yeah and you know by and large that was a good thing but sometimes it would be a bad thing yeah. um are your parents like this like where do you think it came from my dad's pretty competitive okay 
and weirdly, my mum is as well, although not with herself, but she was, she was like, she always liked it when I won, you know. So I think there's definitely some genetic component going yeah. on. Um, yeah, my dad is very competitive. Like I remember we'd play chess against each other when I, you know, when I was really little. And he'd go easy on me so that it'd be an interesting game, but he would still win. Yeah. Yeah, no, he wouldn't let me win. There's no free lunch here, honey. No, exactly. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I mean, I I mean, it's probably some genetic, I don't know. I just don't know. But it was, it was really very defining part of my personality. And that continued for much of my life. And and only until I started like uh, in my late twenties, early thirties, sort of maturing and realizing like, eh, okay there's there's noticing the times when this competition wasn't was i wasn't in a healthy mindset around it and like you know i would either have sort of jealousy at someone else's success or just like self-loathing if i didn't do something right or if like i got unlucky and having too much of my like identity wrapped up in being the person who won yeah you know um so yeah it like has a very deep personal element i want to understand like how like you know that question that you asked like is it is it genetic is it is it nature versus Mm -hmm. versus nurture where is this drive coming from because there are other kids who just don't have it Mm -hmm. and some people you know i assumed everyone was like this and i was so surprised to hear you know and and, like they were just pretending not to yeah yeah everyone wants to crush their enemies oh wait just me no actually some people are just really chill (laughs) like they don't really care whether we win or lose the game they're just like this is silly (laughs) i'm like we have to win this hockey match and i get so annoyed at like my teammates if they didn't try their hardest every time you know and i was i was often captain or whatever probably for that reason (laughs) but um yeah it like so yes to answer understand that question essentially um and then also because so a lot of the video content I've been making lately is around this this character called Moloch, yep. who we I, I imagine we'll talk about. Yes. Um, but basically, you know, in a nutshell, Moloch is the the like the demon of lose lose competition. You know, negative sum games, which make the world the world is worse off for having that competition from happening. So a war would yep. be an example, like just a really terrible war that like was kind of started over something seemingly needless and creates a bunch of casualties and sadness and trauma and negative externalities that would be an example of a very lose-lose competition i was thinking like okay so if moloch is the god i didn't come up with this term moloch clearly it's like it comes from an old bible story and then i was actually going to ask what where the name came from if you know me to go answer that now Yeah, yeah yeah um yeah so it originally comes from this old bible legend or biblical time legend anyway um about this Canaanite cult or this 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 group who wanted you know they were so determined to win war that wars and like acquire military power that they would sacrifice more and more stuff until they started sacrificing their own children mm. to like a burning effigy of this demon of this god Moloch mm-hmm. but they'd worship it hoping that it would reward them with better power you know more military power and and smarts and such because they just wanted to win the game so much so you can kind of see where it so it was originally like known as the god of like war and and bad sacrifice and then over the years it it, you know the legend persisted and then uh this this amazing blog called um slate star codex wrote this this piece called meditations on moloch Uh, i recommend everyone go read it it was like link it up 
so it was like one of the best things I ever read. It was just like a light bulb moment uh, for me when I read it, um, which linked this this like old, you know, horrible deity to put it into more like modern economic game theoretic terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, in you know, so in those terms, you can think of Moloch as like kind of the the god of the incentives that create tragedy of the commons type situations mm-hmm. creates arms races basically you know those those situations where in order to win in order to get a strategic advantage you need to do you know action x but if everyone does action x everybody ends up worse off than before so uh, an example i gave in in one of my first videos on it was uh these beauty filters yeah i saw your video <laughs> for anyone who first of all go check out Liv's videos but there was one where you were basically showing pictures that maybe most would be like those aren't very nice flattering pictures of you like you're literally taking pictures to try and not look good and right. these filters made you look like a look supermodel amazing right yeah. and like just with the click of a button and yep. if you didn't know me or didn't know the original yeah. picture you wouldn't necessarily spot that anything had happened to them yeah. and i was just like what the hell is this technology suddenly that's just appeared these these beauty filters that um are now ubiquitous and you know, at first glance, they're like, oh, cool. It means people don't need to wear makeup and they can just look great immediately and, and so on. But I noticed myself, you know, as a sort of an influencer, I, the pressure I was, I was feeling to, even on pictures that I liked, mm-hmm. to like add a layer of this because it like, it just makes them look better. Yeah. And like social pressure, everyone else is doing it. So you're like... Exactly. And like, and it's like, well, even if I don't, I know that, you know, other influencers who are trying to like, everyone's playing the game of who can get the most likes and follows. Yeah. Um, and it's not a completely, you know, there, there is some scarcity to that resource. Mm-hmm. So if you know that everyone else is doing it, you kind of, you're like massively incentivized to do it as well. But then everyone's kind of, if everyone's now using it, everyone is a bit worse off than before because A, you know, no one knows what's real. So you're like, like just random users on Instagram are like now feeling not good about themselves because they see this like just endless stream of absurdly beautiful people and they don't know that that's not actually reality. Um, And even if they do logically know their their, their limbic system doesn't, you know, you still don't feel good. But also the individual user, you know, I would upload a picture that I love and then I would apply the filter and now I didn't like the original picture anymore. So it makes you dislike your own face. So it, it's it's just making it the 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 end state where everyone is using this is definitely worse off than the previous state where no one was using them. Mm-hmm. But because of the incentive structures, everyone ends up there anyway. And it's the same incentive structure that's driving like nuclear and nuclear yeah. proliferation. Like we all got to be ready. Yeah, it's like you know, the first few nukes were built, and it's like now well, the opponents were like, well now we've got to build them and we've got to spend a ton of resources to do this, you know, resources that could be spent on healthcare or infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We're going to divert away and, you know, bolster our military armaments. And now they're like, well, now they've done this many, we've got to do even more and more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it creates an arms race. Um, Amazon rainforest deforestation. Um, That's again, like farming companies, they need more land. Um, It's this sort of like, common pool resource Mm -hmm. you know this commons essentially the the rainforest that everybody needs and is providing a lot of value but because there's no easy way to protect it and there's so many different people who would need to coordinate to all agree okay let's not cut this down and we'll you know i'm not going to out compete you um by by doing this We'll, we'll all agree not to do this you can't easily coordinate so it ends up getting cut down um so 
that's what Moloch is essentially in, in like modern terms. It's the god of crappy competitive incentives that lead to coordination failure. And it's the same mechanism that's driving the AI arms race right now. Um, various other like potentially sketchy uh, technologies, um, the, the arms race between social media companies to optimize for like the most addictive platform mm -hmm. they can. Because yeah. it's like if they, you know, if we don't want to adopt infinite scroll, even though we know it's not good for people, but everyone else has, so we kind of have to, or we're going to go out of business. That's Moloch, that, that, these, these crappy incentives. And, um, you know, once I, I saw what the, like, the enemy is, it's like, shit, that's this thing that we yeah. have to figure out how to, to beat. And it's, if Moloch is the god of like, lose, lose, lose games, what's the inverse? Mm -hmm. What's the god of like, healthy competition? And I couldn't think of a better name than Win-Win. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I like, I was like, maybe Omnia. But like, Win-Win just resonated with me because it's like, as a character, Win-Win would be, like, Moloch's very, oh, you must win this. Like, me age sort of seven. Yeah. Um, and, and like, whereas Win-Win would be, you know, it's not just purely like Kumbaya, everyone must coordinate and everyone does the same thing. I like that though, too. That's good. No, totally. Win-Win <laughs> loves, no, no, no. I think that's most of the time what we need to do. Yeah. But, the, we, it's also okay to have little pockets mm -hmm. of healthy competition yeah. where like, you know, the Olympics, mm -hmm. technically, you know, there's only a fixed number of medals. Technically, there's a zero sum game going on there, but yeah. it brings the world together. Like it makes human athleticism, you know, it inspires viewers to go out and try new sports. There's all these positive externalities mm -hmm. um, to, you know, the World Cup or whatever. Um, you know, there are examples of healthy competition in our world and like, by and large, a lot of capitalism has been, you know, a healthy competitive system. Um, but there are certain tipping points where the incentive structures get decoupled for what's actually good for the long-term whole, i.e. Moloch gets into the system and it starts creating, you know, the competition is where it creates bad outcomes. So anyway, again, so that's where the, the title of the, of the podcast comes from. It's like, I want, you know, bring this, essentially bring this character of win-win to life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what does a world with healthy, smart competition look like? Yep. Yeah. So I'm wondering like these different use cases, something about like the beauty filters. Do you ever think there's a case where that could actually be a helpful driving force to maybe, like I think about these beauty filters and it's now for anyone who's thinking has a different level of like maybe discernment of like, is that actually the person? Am I looking at the right thing? Is that, you know, a deep fake? Like, I feel mm. like it's forcing humanity to have to think different about, is it real what I'm looking at? And then I also wonder like, is it pushing people back to the real world where that could be a helpful thing? Like it might be a bit of chaos now and there will be people who get burned mm. and catfished and whatever other terrible mm -hmm. things could happen. But I think there's another group, at least here in Austin, I'm sure you've met many of them who are like kind of shifting away from social media platforms to be just more in the real world and more about community now than they ever have been. And I wonder if this chaos is kind of pushing people to like a better future, even if it feels terrible right now. Yes, basically there's, I have no doubt that there will be some positive outcomes of that where perhaps, you know, a percentage or even a, a, a critical mass of our population just end up shunning social media entirely because they're like, this is too much. Mm -hmm. I, this is not good for anyone. I'm every time I go online, I'm just getting fed like rage bait. Mm -hmm. You know, political polarization, division. Again, all molecule processes driven by misaligned incentives. Yeah, you know, of the like attention game essentially. So yes, that's a like 
optimistic. Yeah, I am also. Well, you're very optimistic about a lot of things. I'm like, we're going to solve this, everyone. No, and, I, and, and you might, and I hope you're right. Yeah, and and yes, maybe there will just be. It's like there'll be some casualties along the way. I mean, we're already seeing them, mm-hmm. even depressed teenagers, etc. Our generation will probably yes i think there will be a lot of our generation who do succeed in doing that mm-hmm. and just live in the real world and they realize that the media is like should be taken with a huge grip, grain of salt mm-hmm. um but i'm not sure if that will be sufficient um to because like look what's happening in the us with with um elections mm-hmm. right the next election is going to be, you thought the last one was bad. Like the next one's going to be insane because mm-hmm. now we've got deep fakes. You know, no one is going to know what to trust, except for maybe like some live streamed interviews with yeah. whichever politicians are willing to do them. And I think if I was a politician, that would be the smart thing to do, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, you know, le- like lean into anything that's live that is like truly, people feel like, okay, this is the person speaking authentically. But there's still so much of our like economy that is dependent on media mm-hmm. and like attention. Yeah. And usage numbers. I mean, I guess the, the answer to this is like, we can have a look like, is, is the, are, are the like daily hours, you know, or the, like the cumulative hours spent on social media and mainstream media going down because mm-hmm. people are starting to like essentially go Amish and like yeah. unplug or is it still going up? Yeah. I mean, probably still going up because now it's these new generations that are like born with it where we were not really. I mean, exactly. So different right. populations. Yeah. Uh, so that's why like our, our, our generation might be, you know, we are the, some of the last ones who remember life before. Mm-hmm. And like, for me personally, I like, I mean, my, my career is kind of intertwined with having to do social media and mm-hmm. such. So like I, that's my, you know, I, in an ideal world, I'd like to think I would have like, unplugged and just like a long time ago but but your videos could change the world and like new kinds of media could influence a lot i mean media i think drives everything that's why i even have mission because i think that right exactly we're playing this game right we're trying to put the like the good the good stuff out there um but yeah i don't know i certainly worry for the for the like certainly like today's teenagers i almost worry for them more than like kids being born now because Mm -hmm. kids being born now hopefully they're going to be able to the parents are kind of aware of it and like there might yeah. be a critical mass to be like shield them from yeah. this as long as possible. I mean, I think about that with my kids. I'm like, I've seen what I've seen now of kids who are in their teens right now. And I'm like, my kids aren't getting phones till they're like 16. Right. And I have friends who also do that. And I see how beneficial it's been for them kind of waiting on that. And there's social pressure. Such strong pressure. Like yeah. that's the thing. If they go to a public school. Well, I yeah. Know. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, again, like I think people with, with, the ability to create community where they can kind of like yeah you know that this is how we're going to raise our kids together yeah yeah that's yeah they're they're probably going to be fine um but will the rest of i don't know we need something additionally that's sort of like a real bottom-up thing that recouples like what the what media companies are optimizing for with actually what's healthy for humans because mm-hmm. right now the two are not just decoupled they're like anti-correlated yeah yeah <laughs> um i mean i know. think yeah the game is definitely not one that i mean we've talked about not wanting to even be in because you're just optimizing for more downloads more views more gotcha moments more mm-hmm. like just stuff i'm like that's not interesting to me and yeah. i mean i did that back in when we first started this company in 2017 we were playing the 
traditional media game. We started a medium publication. We became the top publication and then we started getting advertisers on there and just hearing like, oh, we'll pay you per thousand views. I'm like, well, I could get a lot of views on it, but they're probably not the right people that you want. Like, that's not an interesting game. Or I could be more, you know, controversial, but that doesn't feel authentic to me. And just seeing how that path could go and how it was already making my mind think, I was like, I don't want to do that. And my team just being like, more, more, more. I'm like, no, I don't want to be in a more, more game. I want to be in like quality lessons, like leadership conversations, like just interesting things to move the world forward, not just become a vice media or something. I mean, that wasn't really around big like that. But now I'm like... Yeah, and they've gone full full Moloch as far as I'm concerned. But then you see companies like that kind of declining, like gone, you know? Yeah. Like BuzzFeed, bye. So I'm like, that's kind of an interesting indicator. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good point. Like, again, I think a lot of people who have seen the pre-internet the good old days Mm -hmm. and you know i mean don't get me wrong there were plenty of things wrong with the old internet as well i was thinking back to the stuff we used to look at like myspace well myspace yeah (laughs) just like the like the shock stuff that would go around the early internet days just like gross things just the most gross stuff yeah that's that's like rotten.com yeah 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 let's look at that and i'm like why are we looking at this this is horrific i'm actually surprised i didn't get i wasn't like taken from like an you know aol like room or something like i don't know i'm surprised that more people weren't taken back then maybe they just didn't have the technology to really lure people in like they do now but i'm like there were such shady characters in those chat rooms yeah and i'd be like younger just like hi yeah Yeah. totally totally um which then maybe you know speaks for just like it's you know as not not as risky as as it feels yeah that's the thing um and we should give kids some credit like the you know they're not they're not um, in many ways, like modern kids are more savvy yeah. than we ever were. Yeah. I mean, I do like, think they have more sure. discernment of like, yeah. The other day we had someone drive in front of our yard and they stopped and it was kind of weird. It's some like guy and my older kid just walks away and he's like, mom, we don't talk to people we don't know. And this guy just tried to talk to us and tells me his whole story. And I'm like, I haven't even told him about strangers because wow. he's five. And I'm like, I like to keep my kid's in a bubble. I'm protecting you. And then once it becomes a stage where I'll talk to you, but it's like something in him already knew of like, we don't talk to people we don't know. Like unless they're our neighbors and he starts listening to people we can talk to. And I'm like, okay, It's kid. like vibes seemed off. Yeah. The vibes are low frequency. Like the energy wasn't there. No, thank you. But yeah, wow, just impressive. like different generation yeah. for sure. Of- right. And I mean, the, the current teenagers, like they're super politically engaged. They care about the world. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It's like how how do we harness their their kindness and their care and their brilliance, but also like steer that in a healthy direction where it's not just like you know they're they're just a burnt out and overwhelmed and exhausted and b not like easily just swayed by whatever the current thing is mm-hmm. because the current thing is almost like this like wave that will pass through that is like in some ways there are some people at the media who are like oh this is this is cool. Like, this is the big thing right now. Yeah. Let's let's focus on this issue. Um, and again, like coming from my philanthropy background, I've noticed that like, not always the case. It's like the, the current, whatever the current thing is, will somewhat correlate with like what is actually big and urgent and important. Mm-hmm. But once it gets a critical mass, it's now no longer neglected. Yeah. And meanwhile, the less sexy, interesting, sorry, the less, the less sexy and like soundbiteable recurring problems like 
misaligned game theoretic incentives uh-huh. uh, don't actually get paid any attention to, you know, like the foundational research we need to do on this uh, yeah. to like solve these problems. Um, you know, how do we better coordinate? It's not, it's not going to make a very good, you know, soundbite on CNN. Maybe um, these kids are bored. Because I think about it, when we grew up, we had things like Harry Potter. We had things that like literally pulled us into different worlds that I think at least like my classmates, like we were kind of all obsessed with these different series and like storytelling. And I mean, there was like good movies back then and just stuff that would really pull us in a different way. And I'm like, there hasn't been much of that in a long time. And what if they're just like, let's try and make our own stuff, our own UGC content that it's like shaping things differently because they don't have like good storytelling. Um. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, there's definitely, I think more is, is that they're almost oversaturated with mm. content. There's like so much. You just, the amount of video that is produced per second. Yeah. Compare it to 20 years ago. Like, it's, I bet it's an order of magnitude, if not like 1.5 orders yeah. of magnitude more. Yeah. Yeah. Someone did a stat the other day where I overheard where they were talking about the amount of just words people read on social media platform. Like, if, just in a day, if you would sum that up to like how many books it would be, you'd be able to read like 100 books in a year or something. Wow. And it made me realize like just even glancing at something for like 20 mm. minutes, I mean, what could you be using that 20 minutes for instead? And when hearing that it could be probably 100 books a year, I'm like, oh man. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. And and meanwhile, I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I've been trying to read uh, Brothers, Karama- Brothers Karamazov, you know, the, the Dostoevsky book. Like, like I just can't like my brain you. just can't do it anymore I'm like 20% of the way through and it's like I see it's beautiful writing yeah but I'm like man this like the story's not really gone anywhere at all <laughs> and okay here's another like thousand words on like describing the view <laughs> and I'm like I if I can't get through this like who am I you know like I used to like just tear through books like this huh. as a kid yeah um so I don't know if it's a lack of storytelling quality. So I think there's like, if anything, storytelling's even gotten better because we've just like, there's more people thinking harder about mm-hmm. like, and trying to compete to do it. So it, mm-hmm. I think storytelling isn't that it's gotten worse. It's just that the system, there, there's such a pile, like a mm-hmm. Mount Everest of content and like trying to compete for your attention and yeah. you only have a fixed amount of time to ever consume stuff the mechanism through which like the the content that gets actually to your like available to your eyes is not optimized for necessarily top quality Mm -hmm. you know or nuance or whatever it's optimized for um emotional salience and like attention grabbing etc so um it's like that that the we didn't have to uh, exercise much discernment Mm -hmm. when it came to it's just like oh no this book's good here yeah okay what else am i gonna do i don't have anything else i'll read the i'll read the stephen king book or whatever you know like there's just and, and then and then coupled with the fact that like these these screens are just so you see it with children right like the screen will suck them in. Yeah. There's something about the like the brightness of the colors. It's just so vivid and like great. At, it's like junk food. Mm-hmm. The same way that like our stomachs and mouths start watering when we see like, you know, a deep fried Mars bar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like our brains are like, this is really not good for you. Like go eat the piece of broccoli. It's like our bodies want that yeah. because it's just old silly dopamine systems mm-hmm. um or whatever limbic systems that just haven't quite figured out what's good and what's not so these are like the junk food you know the tiktok is the junk food of of content yeah um 
in Dostoevsky's to the other end of that. <laughs> so funny. I don't know many people who are trying to read that book right now. Only you of my friend group. Well, it's because I'm the only person I know who hasn't read it. <laughs> and I like, I'm a public intellectual and I'm If we read have it, different like, friend groups, very different friend groups. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I, like, I'm embarrassed by it and I'm like, I have to get through this. And oh it's just, God. and also because a, a good friend like told me that there's a solution to Moloch in it as well. Oh, okay. So that's why it's pulling so you So that's why. It. I, I, it's been like, not apparent me? to me what that solution is going to be yet. Yeah. But he says, look, please just read it. Yeah. Like, so, can I get the page number, the TLDR? He's, he's, he's given me, the, he's given me actually like the, the chapters oh, okay. if I want to skip to it. But I, I just, I can't forget myself. So yeah. instead, yeah, I don't know. It's bad. Very <laughs> funny. So how many interviews have you done on your show now? Uh, the second uh, oh sorry I've, well the second episode just uh, not like, published watched. but just recorded oh, okay uh, five so six maybe name a few people that maybe I would recognize and then I want to hear like the most interesting concepts that maybe give you either hope or more worries about you know this concept mm-hmm. of win-win so I just interviewed Isabel Bomika who she lives here in Austin okay um, I can know she's gonna be mad at me for pr- Bomika Bomik I don't know how you spell like pronounce her last name I never do uh, but she's she's a very good friend, and she is a she was a professional model, like high class, like like not high class, high fashion model. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, for much of her life, and then one day basically woke up and decided she wanted to be a nuclear energy influencer. Wow, which is the most crazy sounding job title. Yeah, to basically um, bring back nuclear. Well, so. Not, not necessarily even bring back nuclear energy, just let's keep the existing nuclear energy, you know, the nuclear power plants that we have mm-hmm. that are working really well and producing carbon-free energy mm-hmm. reliably 24-7. Let's just not turn them off yeah, because some m- misinformed memes, basically, mm-hmm. from like the 70s yep. are telling people to do that. Yeah. And they, like, they're hung up on it. The 70s really jacked a lot of things up. <sighs> nuclear, yeah. war on drugs... Seriously, there's a lot of like wacky ass decisions. And these it's interesting how these memes have stuck. Yeah. Um and so she's like, I she's she decided she's gonna pivot and start creating content about that. She's always loved science and she's super smart. That's awesome. Um and she's really creative. So uh she she's an example of someone that gives me hope because she someone who's like a deep pragmatist mm-hmm. that's essentially what because you know it's not like nuclear energy is perfect obviously like you know there are you know it does create waste that stays radioactive for a long time although the waste is actually much easier to contain uh it's much smaller than people realize mm-hmm. um and yes in an ideal world we would just have wind turbines and solar cells everywhere and that's would cover our needs but it's nowhere close to covering it right now and as like we've seen in germany They've been turning off all their power plants and literally replacing them with coal, which yeah. directly kills like, I think 2000 times as many people per unit of energy directly just from air yeah. pollution. Jeez. And that's not factoring in the climate change impact, mm-hmm. which is so much worse. And why? They're like, they're, they're, their plants are safe. Like they're like, there's the risk. Yes, there is a risk of, of obviously a terrible accident, but it's very, very small. Mm-hmm. And even the worst one in history, Chernobyl, is way less bad than people actually, you know, like than the sort of is, is painted. So anyway, yeah. so she she's an example of someone who just like put her smarts and her and her pragmatism to like, this is what I'm going to do at a sort of personal cost. Mm-hmm. She got a lot of like, I'm sure. Yeah, like people mad at her about that. But she's like, this is the right thing to do. Yeah, so that, that's, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily an example of like 
helping well i mean it's to an extent helping with climate change because yeah. it's like here's a solution that we have to like temporary you know long run we'll probably get fusion mm-hmm. and other novel forms of energy that are yep. even cleaner and you know have no downsides um but in the meantime we need this sort of stopgap approach mm-hmm. um and like people like her who just like come up with this like weird creative idea of of like putting them their skills to good use in completely novel ways are just so inspiring yeah well i love that yeah, we are working on, I don't know if I told you about this show that we're partnering with Lawrence Livermore National Labs. So they're like the National Laboratory in the Bay Area. They secure a lot of the US, like 90% of the nuclear stockpile. And going through their history of kind of like everything of just also what it looked like to be working on nuclear, testing nuclear, then having the challenge to like, hey, can you test it without actually testing in the field? To then have to like create a whole new modeling from like 2D to then 3D. And then all of a sudden all these new technologies come out of it. I feel like there's a whole history behind nuclear and not only just using it and how it's helpful and was it hasn't been helpful, obviously, like there's both, but also just like the history behind this whole space is like super fascinating. Mm. And like the tech, yeah, there's the innovations that came out of it just from kind of like challenges or decisions that, you know, political leaders maybe enforced or made that then spurred a whole bunch of new things. And I think there's so much that is lost um, so I love that she's, you know, mm-hmm. kind of spearheading and using her influence to, yeah, just spread the word about something that I think a lot of people have the wrong ideas about. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. It's all, it's, it's all about memes, mm-hmm. ideas, you know, meme is like, I guess like the modern word for like, yep. idea um, or belief or whatever. But um, yeah, you've got to, in a world overrun with memes and it's a very competitive ecosystem, how to make healthy memes that actually like are aligned with sort of the long-term flourishing of of society mm-hmm. rise to the top yep and it's very difficult so what things are you most worried about right now as you're hearing these conversations you're hearing you know super smart and interesting people a lot of your friend group is also very interesting so you get i think behind the scenes conversations that many maybe wouldn't hear mm. like what's on your mind at night right now well, the main thing is, uh, you know, actually it just came out yesterday, this 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 signatory letter, um, which fortunately, like almost all the top leaders of, you know, CEOs of the top AI labs signed. But AI is probably the main one. Um, that, that and the risks from uh, novel pathogens, so, you know, like um, synthetic biology, mm-hmm. essentially, the, because we're making such incredible headway um, in terms of being able to uh synthesize you know like gene editing etc cetera, etc cetera. just like the, there's the progress we're making in biology is so exciting because mm-hmm. we might be at a cure i wouldn't be surprised if we've got a cure for cancer in the next 10 years like mm-hmm. at all in fact yeah. i'd be surprised if we don't so it's 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 incredible what the 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 the, the, the benefits that are going to come from this but at the same time as you increase cap- capabilities you can also use you can create the you know the the ability to to make very bad things, mm-hmm. and AI is another one of these. It's like what you call a dual use technology. Same with nuclear. Mm-hmm. When we discovered that when you split the atom of a very large uh, radioisotope like uranium or whatever, it unleashes a shit ton of energy, and you can use that for good. You know, if you don't, you know, if you just use like unenriched uranium, you can use that in a in a, a in a reactor and create like basically limitless clean energy. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be a psycho and 
enrich it to above 90% or whatever and put it in a certain type of weapon, uh, you can kill millions of people in yeah. a single, single go. Um, and AI and synthetic biology are two similar types of technologies and that we call them dual use and that they can be used for incredible good and unimaginable bad. And at least with nuclear, we found some ways to like, because the upside of, uh, <laughs> the upside of nuclear weapons, uh, you know, the, the, the mitigating factor of the like, of, of nuclear weapons is at least they're like very expensive mm-hmm. to develop. And so it's only really nation states that could ever really do it. They're also really detectable. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like rare, rare earth elements that are required. So it's you not can like see them from like a satellite or something, right? Usually, yeah, they leave like radioactive, you know, trace signatures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know where most of the deposits are. So we can kind of track where you know, mm-hmm. uranium or plutonium go. Um, and and so there's very, you know, there's a small number of actors that need to coordinate in order to not, you know, to like keep Moloch at bay. And uh, even then, like it's still, there were so many near misses for nuclear war over the last century. Like in some ways it's like pretty crazy. There actually, we haven't had it worse. So we're in one of the like kind of lucky timelines, frankly, um, living under the nuclear shadow. So that like nuclear is actually easier of a, of a Moloch problem to coordinate and, and like mitigate. But with something like AI, where, you know, you just need the data center or like GPU clusters. Yeah, say chips. They're backlogged on that. You can't move too quickly now. Well, that's true. Even like 70 months in back. Yeah, 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 Sally. But still, ultimately, like, (laughs) you know, or even if you train your data set, you know, you've then got to, sorry, you train train your model. Um, You then have to have really good cybersecurity to make sure it doesn't leak. Oh, Mm -hmm. hello, Facebook. Their thing, their Lambda model leaked onto 4chan. So now 4chan have an incredibly powerful, I don't know what's happening with that, but something will happen with that. Mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't even in the news. It was like one of the biggest like like, lab leaks, essentially. Yeah, tell me more about that. I didn't even, not Um, that I'm on Facebook because no thank you, but... Yeah, tell me more about what happened there. Um, so I mean, I'm not super like, up to speed on all the exact the exact in and outs, but in a nutshell, um, they had this model um, similar to ChatGPT. Um, I don't think it was quite as powerful as GPT four or anything, but it was a pretty good model. Um, and the way you know the what's the, the sort of the the uranium of these models, the, the value of these models is is in the weights, which is like these mathematical yeah. weights, and it takes a shit ton of training to actually develop these weights so that they work, you know, in a, in it. So it creates this really good language, language model. Um, so all the hard work is in this bit, but once you have the weights, it's like now kind of, you got the weights, so yeah. you got the answer. And it was these that leaked. So you don't need a big supercomputer, you know, GPU clusters and so on necessarily to yeah. like, you know, now you've got the weights kind of, it's not that hard to build, you know, to, to like build a front end of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, um, and now that's not to say, you know, I don't think GPT-4 is especially, you know, it's not like extinction risk for a problem, but it's definitely, if someone wanted to weaponize that, that kind of technology, now GPT, you know, GPT-4 is like fairly, well, chat GPT has got like lots of rules and stuff mm-hmm. on it. And like, it, it will just stop talking to you if you start yeah. asking it for sketchy shit. Yeah. But it'd be very easy for someone to now like emulate that. And like, you can just flood the internet with, nonsense Mm -hmm. if you want and like pollute the information commons even more uh or you can do you you know like really targeted sort of psyop stuff and so on um and that's just what we have today yeah and the rate of progress is going so fast 
and there's so many different now competing actors and they're you know with again with nuclear like it was kind of like geopolitics was like moloch's currency mm-hmm. now it's just money it's just you know it's it's a very fungible resource and like if you can build a, 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 a some kind of ai that makes your business do its thing much much faster that's directly usable mm-hmm. um gives you just money which you can go and do whatever you want with so there's maximum incentives for everyone to use ai to speed up whatever their current company is doing or their their current thing is and that can be great if you're doing something that's a really good company that's actually good for the world but that's not great if you're a company that is like very extractive you know from the biosphere um or harmful for people's psychology um you know there's there's plenty of companies that are actually misaligned Mm -hmm. with what's good for humanity um and ai is just going to speed up everything so if you're already living under a misaligned system that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. If you think that the system is actually perfect and like everything's great, then sure. People, the, and that's where this sort of like culture war is starting to split of people who like basically think that the current system, you know, they look back at history mm-hmm. and go, well, this is pretty great compared to what it used to be. And they're not wrong. Like, like the sort of the capital, well, the, the, the socioeconomic system has made things objectively better over yeah. the last few hundred years. And I wouldn't want to go, I wouldn't even want to live 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that if you draw that line, that it's going to continue that way because we are starting to hit up against limits of um, like planetary boundaries. Like the, the the rate with which we are borrowing from the future in terms of like resource extraction is no, like is far outstripping our ability to replace it. And AI is going to speed up all of that even more. And, but the flip side is, is that it can help solve many many issues and so it's like how do we constrain its use on the on the misaligned bad stuff and completely like enable and encourage its use on all the good stuff without creating these tyrannical control structures which is also terrible yeah and arguably even worse and it's so it's like it's 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 a really complex issue um and frankly, anyone who has a, t- like, like, I know the answer and it's just like, let AI loose or no, like no one can have AI. They're wrong. Like it's, it's, it's so complex and there's so many moving parts and there's trade-offs everywhere. Um, and that's separate from then the whole idea of like a super intelligence that could emerge mm-hmm. that is misaligned with what humanity, you know, humanity's goals in like a little way. And because it's so super intelligent it's going to far outstrip us and do whatever it wants and what do you think about that because I, I forget who i was listening to where they were like that is so far off like so far into the future i'm trying to think of who that was mm-hmm. but it's someone that was like they actually normally have like interesting points of view they know a lot about that space mm-hmm. and he was explaining the difference between like what uh, agi versus whatever the other one is um narrow ai like yeah like what we have now versus like you're basically like a human and he's like, to get there, you would need these things. And then when I heard it, it kind of put me at ease a bit where I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, it doesn't seem like we're that close to having something come and have its own ideas about like, we're going to take over the world now and kill off all the humans. Like it just felt very far-fetched, but I mean, you're closer to this than I am, so. Yeah, I mean, so I am not an expert. I'm not like, you know, I'm not a AI developer, um, but I'm friends with quite a few mm-hmm. who are experts. Um timelines are short that's all i will say like all i can really say their timelines are all certainly under 20 years Mm -hmm. in many cases under 10 years and in some cases even under five years now they can be wrong 
And in many ways, you know, they're like people who are thinking about this all the time. So they might have biases there and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. But my argument would be, even if it was 50 years away, you're basically saying we're looking through a telescope and we can see that there is a potentially extremely hostile but far superior alien race coming towards Earth. And they're going to be here in 50 years. And if we don't figure this out, like we have no idea whether they're going to be benevolent or not. We have no idea. All we know is that they are like 10,000 level IQ compared to our, Mm -hmm. you know, 120 or 100 or whatever. Um, And they, they're coming and like, are are we just going to be like, okay, well, whatever, they're still 50 years away. So we'll deal with it later. I mean, probably knowing us, but you know, that that doesn't, doesn't seem like the rational thing to do. So that's even if it's 50 years away. And when you've got, like the leaders of the AI labs, like they all think it's like within like 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's like, like, okay, it's coming. And and it may be impossible, maybe it is, but like at the same time, look at GPT-4, like it's mm-hmm. incredibly, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's not sentient, yeah. but can it do like basic problem solving things and show that it clearly has some kind of worldview? Like uh, there was this really good uh, thing, cause like, you know the 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 sort of the the sort of standard thing people say is like oh it's just a stochastic parrot it's just it's just you know making predictions blah 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 it's like okay but you someone described it they did this thing where it um they were like there's a cup on a table and I put the you know they some kind of thing where like they put a ball on top of the cup. And then, but then I move the cup, but they don't mention that the ball gets moved, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it would not, it's not like this is, a, it was not like an experiment that was ever written on, you know, on the internet anywhere mm-hmm. that it's just copying. It was a brand new thing that GPT-3 couldn't, you know, it would answer essentially wrong, showing it didn't have a worldview, but GPT-4 would knew where the ball had moved to in a way that like a human would know where a ball had moved to or mm-hmm. an animal living in meat space. So... Anyone who's like confident saying that the, you know, even these large language models, oh, they're never going to be able to actually scale. You can't have that degree of confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, And then meanwhile, certain companies are doing things like teaching it how to write code where it can recursively self-improve then. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems like a, you know, that's that's definitely one path to making a super intelligence's life easier. Uh, Another thing would be connecting it to the internet. They also did that. Uh, the next thing would be um, giving it, a, you know, like allowing an API so that like you can have users create, you know, like sort of crowdsource mm-hmm. advancements and so on. They also did that. So all the like tick boxes of the things that like in a vacuum you'd say you probably shouldn't do mm-hmm. with given, you know, you may be having this alien thing that could actually take off and do, you know, become uh extremely powerful in a way that you might not be out of control we've been doing Mm -hmm. so um it's not a certainty but it doesn't need to be a certainty given the stakes and it comes back to and that's like an example of poker thinking we you know we think in expected value poker players Mm -hmm. it's like i don't know whether or not they have you know the uh, aces here um but like you, you 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 sort of give it uh basically what is the likelihood of a versus B and what are the probabilities of those? And then you have your expected value. Um, We can do the same kind of thing with risks on, you know, around topics like AI. So yeah, I mean, it gets into like funky math as well because it's, you know, all all sorts of, it just gets funky. But um, the point is, is like, it's the most powerful thing that's ever been built. 
what we've already got right now, like I think GPT-4 is just the most astonishing thing. Um, same with mid-journey, same with all of these things. Yeah. It's like we're living in a world of magic. Literally, you say words and it creates. Mm -hmm. Text to video is basically here as well yeah. now. Yeah. And it's going faster and faster and faster. And anyone who's like, oh, it'll be fine. I'm like, I'm sorry, where is your hubris coming from? Like, are you a clairvoyant? Okay. <laughs> Um, let's, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to just try and nudge things so that like, at least we have some checks and balances yeah. whereby, you know, anyway. <laughs> and well, I know in a little bit, we're running up on time. I feel like we're gonna have to do a whole round two to like mm. go even deeper on these, Absolutely. but I do want to ask one thing. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? Cause that you're so public. You've been like a TV host personality. You're all over Twitter. Like what's something that you explore or you like or like a story where you're like, people actually probably don't know this. Ooh. You can take time to think if you want. Yeah. I mean, the thing that comes to mind is I'm like, I'm like an obsessive bug lady. I love. I actually remember this about you. Like, carry <laughs> okay, on. You know, oh, <laughs> but you can tell. I love like my, one of my favorite things since about, you know, moving to Texas is just how many weird bugs there are that I've not seen before yeah. coming from Europe. And the bigger, the better. And the, the the more of a freak the creature is, the more I love it. I love the freaks. Um, and like there was this huge moth, like the size of my hand the other day. And I just, I just wanted it on my face. I just <laughs> love them. So uh, I don't know if many people know that. Yeah. Really like the bugs. That's a um, good one. Except for mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah fuck them. Why'd you move to Austin? Like what brought you here? Um, a combination of things. My other half, Igor, got a job that required him to be in Texas. So Austin seemed like the best place. Yeah. Uh, but secondly, so many of our friends had moved here anyway. We'd been spending a lot of time in the US, um, but we'd just never quite made the jump of like doing the whole visa thing. Mm -hmm. um, so we finally did it and love it. Yeah. It's just, I think it's it's my favorite place I've ever lived. Oh, yeah. Well, yay. You'll stay here then. Okay, mm -hmm. good. Last thing, what are you most excited about? And it can be personal stuff it can be your work stuff your podcast stuff, like whatever you want to talk about but what are you most excited about maybe the coming year yeah I think I think honestly the podcast just because it's it's a brand new adventure I'm learning you know I've sort of got the meta process running in my head yeah. of watching how you interview me because oh, like, oh, damn oh, Steph's okay. so good you're you so think? good you're so smooth <laughs> and just delightful and your questions are insightful and you've got like interesting <laughs> tidbits and like there's never like an awkward pause and like I've noticed it like I, I'm still in this like Oh, what am I going to ask the guest next? It's because oh, you're shit. way smarter than me. That's why your mind is like, dee -dee -dee -dee, and I'm over here just like, oh, this is a good story. I don't know. I think it, no, it, it, I don't think I'm smarter than you. It's just like, <laughs> I. it's just a completely different skill. So what are you going to pick up from this interview then that you're going to take back? So a thing I like to do sometimes that's I, I find personally helpful is just like, okay, I'm going to put on my... Like I used to do this when I play poker when I'm like, oh, I'm not playing that well. Well, what would Igor do? Because Igor's so good at poker. Uh -huh. uh, and so I'd be like, I'm just going to, I'm going to be Igor Kurganov at the table for a while and just like try and embody uh -huh. what I know, you know, someone I know well and be them. Mm -hmm. And it helped. Like truly, I'd play better. So I'm going to just, I know you well. I'm going to, I'm going to put my Steph hat on. <laughs> just, I, I can't, I can't really put into words what it is that you're good at. Like you're just, I can just, you know, you're smooth you're insightful you're curious etc but like i don't know i just i'm just gonna i'm gonna be steph i love my that next one so. you gotta put on a blonde wig though 
I know you've worn wigs in some of your videos before. I do before. like to wear wigs. Yeah, so. I've just bought a crazy, for my next Moloch one, it's going to be on the AI Moloch. And huh. uh, you know, the Shoggoth meme? No. Oh, <laughs> crazy ass costume. Hold on, I want to look it up now. Uh, so Shoggoth is it's from the HP Lovecraft novel. Um, oh, of course, I don't know this then. Uh, but basically it's like this character that's well, these these monsters that are like all tentacles and, oh these little octopus things yeah they're, but they're yes but oh they're like gosh. they're meant to be like horrifying they've got like eyes everywhere they're like tentacles <laughs> and it's like it's like unintelligible monster huh? someone was made the point that like actually that's what these large language models are oh okay and we have you know RLHF re- yeah, reinforcement learning with human feedback mm-hmm. as ways of like no it's fine we make them we make them behave yeah but they and, and the meme became that it's like no, it's just like Shoggoth monster that's like and we don't even we can't imagine what's actually going on inside it because we can't. Yeah, um, it's called like the interpretability problem. We don't we can we know like the physical way that these systems are built. You know how a sort of neural net kind of looks, but we can't actually peer inside and see how it comes to the conclusions it does. We just know that it does mm-hmm. through some kind of inscrutable mathematical operations. Um, the same way I can't like you can't look in someone else's brain you can pick their brain apart physically but you can't actually like experience what they're experiencing you don't know you just see what comes out and assume they behave in a certain way Um, but this is far more complex because this is like a a completely alien form of life right Mm -hmm. it's silicon based instead of carbon based and it's built in a different way and um, but it's still acts like a human mm-hmm. like it sounds like you you know these things have officially passed the turing test when it comes to dialogue yeah you wouldn't know that you're not speaking to a person if you took someone from 2000 you know 1999 mm-hmm. and it chatted on they chatted online with this thing they'd have no clue it was an ai yeah so um shoggoth is like a representation of that and then they, they like the, the 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 human feedback bit is like this little paper mask that you put over a tentacle and it's like look i have a smiley face i'm a person so that's my next video is uh i'm gonna dress up as that oh my god i love you that's amazing <laughs> all right well Liv, this is super fun where can our listeners viewers everyone learn more about you and find your podcast and everything else uh i would recommend just going to my youtube mm-hmm. so it's just livebury um and just search Liveberry Win Win, you'll find the podcast in all the normal places. But YouTube is where I'm trying to push people to because that's where it's like the video side of yep. stuff as well. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.